do met me in my doubt Turn my anxious thoughts around Let your praise be in my mouth My whole life, my whole life Open up my eyes to see Perfect love moving towards me You have shown up faithfully My whole life, my whole life So I will bless the Lord At all times At all times My soul will sing of your love At all times At all times You got the whole world in your hands So I surrender to your plans You've been a father and a friend my whole life, my whole life Good morning, welcome to Connection Church My name is Heather, won't you stand and sing with us this morning? Couldn't 
Good morning, Connection Church. We're excited you're here to worship with us this morning. If it's your first time, we just want to say welcome. And if you did not already stop by the blue tent on your way in, please do so on the way out. And we just have a gift for you. And we honestly just want to get to know your name and who you are and just connect with you. And so please do that if you have not already. With that being said, um, we exist to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything we do is about that end in mind. And so with with that being said, will our team come down to prepare to receive the offering at this time? And while they do, I just want to reiterate, I mean, if you're not a member here, if you're just visiting, if you're just a guest, we don't want anything from you. This is a form of worship. We give back because we believe the gospel genuinely produces generous people. And we give back because he, he gave his first and his best in Jesus Christ's son, our Savior. And so y'all can take the offering this time. Thank you, guys. While they're doing that, just a, uh, a few announcements. One, on your screen, there's, all, there's multiple ways to give as well. You can go online or you can text any dollar amount to 84321 or even on our CCV um, Connection Church Vidalia app. And so many ways to give, not just the buckets. And so we encourage that as well. With that being said, I want to celebrate what God has done if you haven't been coming, just to catch you up to speed, what we've done since January is a 21 days of fasting and prayer coupled with our Who's Your One 30-day prayer guide of you're praying for one person in your life that doesn't know Jesus. And can we just give the Lord a hand because 11 people have come to salvation over this past month. Amen. And we're so sweetly reminded, man, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. And so just praise the Lord for, for what he's doing and what he's going to continue to do. I pray that you don't give up on praying for your one. And please continue to share those testimonies and stories with us so we can celebrate that as people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, also, because we've had a lot of new people over the past few weeks, we were going to push Heart and Soul back into March because we're just finishing Heart and Soul tonight. Is activate dinner for those of you who are going. But we decided we're going to just run that thing back. And so starting next week, February 12th, we're going to have a, our, another Heart and Soul. And if you're not familiar, Heart and Soul is kind of like our flagship membership class of we don't want it just to be a membership class. We want you to be heart and soul with, with, with Jesus, with his church, and with his people. And so it really walks through the foundations. We want every believer to know of this is what it means to follow Jesus and be walking in and with his church. And so if you have any information or you're interested or maybe that's your next step, you have not done that, please come talk to somebody on staff or one of our connect leaders. 
and we would love to get you plugged up. That starts next week, next Sunday at 11 a.m. And now we're going to enter a time where we're going to pray for the nations. And so just to recap, every month we pray for the nations, but I want to answer the question, why do we pray for the nations? Because we believe the Great Commission is for every church to live sent here where you're planted and also to live sent there and to send missionaries to places where there is no church and there is no gospel. We, we believe with our whole heart that we are ascending church and we want to continue to grow into ascending church. And so with that being said, the last quarter, like October, November, December of last year, we prayed specifically for Tunisia, the Tunisian Arabs, and missionaries in Tunisia, and that we would send more. Now, this quarter, we've been praying for, starting in January last month, we're praying that our church would be ascending church, and we would have a heart for the nations. And so I'm going to put a picture on the screen just so this becomes a little more real. Can you put the first picture up of these are six, I believe. Yeah, five, six, there you go. Six people groups in Indonesia. And, a, and kind of a, a horrifying but interesting stat about Indonesia is it has the most unengaged people groups in the world. There's, there's over like 200 unengaged people groups. And what I mean by the word people group is it's a, it's a, it's a group of people that have the same culture and language because when, when God says nations in the Bible, it's the Greek word ethnos, and it means peoples or people groups. And so, like, it's, they didn't have geographic countries like we have today. And so when we think of people groups, don't think of necessarily countries, but think of groups of people. And here are six groups of people in Indonesia. I'm sorry, go back one more time. Here's six groups of people in Indonesia that just show you that there's 38 million, 37, 29, 7.6, 6.8, that there is no church at all. And there's no gospel. And more than just these six, like, giant groups, there's another list of, I, we just typed up 50 because it's, it, it got too small going beyond that. But, like, there's all these people groups that are unengaged for the gospel. And what do I mean by this? What we mean by this is there is such a need in the world. And we, our prayer is that we would be a church that sends missionaries to say, we're going to take, take some of these people groups and we're going to erase them from the unreached and unengaged list. We are going to reach them and engage them for the gospel and plant a church that multiplies to, to evangelize their people for God's glory. Amen? And so at this time, we're going to go into a time of prayer like we do every month. And so we're going to have our prayer points on the screen. And I'll talk through it real quick before we pray together. One is that we would be a church that desires to make disciples of all nations. I grew up in a family that loved the Lord, but we were just ignorant to the need. And we really wanted to make disciples, but we, we didn't really think beyond what we could see. We didn't really think beyond Tombs County. Our first prayer is that we would be a church that thinks beyond Tombs County. And we would think about the nations. We would desire to reach them. Two, that God would use us to reach people, to reach people groups that are unreached for the gospel. Like that list I showed you guys. Man, I want us to reach. I want us to, I, it'd be awesome if we took out one group. But what if we took out multiple as a connection network. Three, that we would send ordinary people to go and live amongst these people groups for the sake of the gospel. I said ordinary people because I think when we use the word missionary, it almost feels like we separate us from missionaries. And we're reminded that a missionary is just a Christian that's carrying a message. That's all of us. That can't be all of us, right? It's just ordinary people that God uses in extraordinary ways that are just obedient. Great men and women of God are not great men and women. 
They're just men and women who are consistently obedient. And so at this time, I know it might be a little awkward, and that's okay. That's why we want to create this norm. I want you to partner up with who's beside you or go slide down the aisle. Is somebody beside you? And I want us to spend about two minutes praying out loud together as a church, lifting up these prayers, asking for these three things. And so Jesus, bless this time as we enter into your presence. Let's pray. Father, we just pray, God, that we would be a church that our heart breaks for what breaks yours, Father. That we would want the, the, the fullness of the Great Commission, not just, not just a few words of it, but for all nations, God. God, I pray that we would desire to see your glory reach every people throughout the earth. God, use us to reach all these groups that breaks my heart. If we had a list of of all the, the three to 4,000 groups that are unengaged and unreached across the world, God, it'd be over, it's overwhelming. But use us to reach at least just one, Father. If, if, if because of Connection Church of Idea, there's one people group who's not in the kingdom that gets brought into the kingdom, we say yes and amen, Father. Let it be so. We give you our yes as a church. And God, I pray that we would send ordinary people, not not elevated spiritual giant missionaries, but ordinary people who have real problems that are just willing to be obedient and say, I'll go wherever you call me to go and I'll do whatever you call me to do. God, in Jesus' name, let your name be glorified amongst us and use us. In your name we pray, amen. Good morning, church. Y'all doing all right this morning? Man, I hope you're doing well. Welcome to Connection Church. If it's your first time here, I just wanna say a special welcome to you, my name is Blake. I get to be one of the pastors here and excited to uh, uh, teach this morning. Man, I love this church and I love that God's moving in this church. And how do you know God's moving in this church? Man, salvations have been happening. 30 people coming through heart and soul right now. Man, that's just awesome to, 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 to think there are still so many people coming through. And even next class is already being booked. Man, if you hadn't signed up. Sign up. Don't, don't wait. It's, it's, it's an awesome thing. And so I'm excited about this morning. John chapter 2, verse 13. If you got your copy of God's Word, want to take that out. John chapter 2, uh, verse 13. Let me pray for us real quick while you turn there, and then we'll jump in. God, we just love you. 
And God, I love your spirit. And God, I pray that uh, your spirit would work this morning through your word and you would challenge us and encourage us and help us to see that it's us that you want, that you want our hearts, not just going through the motions, but God, you want to be the motor that drives everything that we do. And God, help us to heed your word, encourage us and challenge us and God, just transform us this morning. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Uh, about a year ago... On Valentine's Day, and this is your warning, man, Valentine's coming up, and so be prepared. But uh, I remember about a year or two ago on Valentine's, my kids went to school, and they exchanged candy and things with their friends at school, and I remember doing that when I was growing up myself, and I remember picking up my kids uh, from school, and they were showing me the candy and things that their friends had got them, and, and my daughter was in the back seat, and she said, Daddy so-and-so got me a gift. And I remember uh, her reaching in the front seat, and I, she put it in my hand, and I looked, and it was a little toy ring. And someone had got her a ring. And I remember deep down in my heart, I felt a type of way. And, and it was not joy that was in my heart. It was more like rage. Like I felt this anger deep down and, and past that anger, past that rage, past that reveals something great, how much I love her. This morning, we can tell what somebody loves by watching what somebody hates. It's past your emotions, past your anger, that you can really boil down and see what somebody really loves. And we land in a passage that we could say that we're surprised by Jesus. That he's a little stirred up about something in this passage, and we can tell a lot about his heart through looking at the scriptures. And so, John 2, verse 13, it says this, When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. The Jewish Passover, the Passover festival. Festivals remind you of where you come from and who you are. This is the Sweet Onion Festival. Every year, once a year, we have the Vidalia Onion Festival because we got to let them know who we are. We're Vidalia. We're home of the Sweet Onions. And we look back and remember that. In the Jewish Passover, they look back and remember what God did for Israel and brought them out of slavery from Egypt. God went to Moses and said, Moses, you go to Pharaoh and you tell him to let my people go. And Moses went up to Pharaoh and said, hey, dog, you let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no, nah, dog, I ain't letting your people go. And Moses was like, you messed up now, dog. You can let them go by, by will or God's going to let them go by force. But they will be freed. And, and God sent ten plagues. And the last plague was called the Passover. And here's what God told Moses. Moses, I'm bringing judgment. I'm going to pass through Egypt. Get every male of every household of my community to take a spotless lamb. And slay that lamb and take the blood of the lamb and put it on your doorpost of your house. And when I pass through and see the blood, on the count of three, say blood. One, two, three. Blood, I'm going to pass over. And then he said, not just that, Moses, but every single year, once a year, for generations to come to remind our people what God did for Israel, you will have a Passover festival in remembrance of me and in remembrance and anticipation of a Savior that's going to come one day and free you from your sins. 
And that's what the Passover was all about, kind of like communion, when we take communion and look back at what Jesus did on the cross. Passover festival was to remind them what God did and to look forward to a Savior. And that Savior and that Lamb is Jesus Christ. And that Jesus walks into this temple in Passover festival. And here's what it says in verse 14. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. And that's some things that people needed at the Passover festival. You needed the right sacrifice. You needed the right money to pay temple tax, to take care of the temple. And you needed the right heart before the Lord to come stir your affections for God. They needed the right sacrifice. Because the sacrifice points to Jesus and his covering for your sins. And they would, people would come from all over and bring their sacrifices. And they needed the right money. You had to have money changers. If we got in a plane right now and flew to New Zealand, we're going to need some money changers. Because a dollar of U.S. dollars, like 69 cents in New Zealand, is not going to work out. And people coming from all over, they had to bring sacrifices and bring money, and they, they had to pay a temple tax, and they changed out their money, and they needed the right heart to stir their affections for God's glory and His grace. And here's the problem that Jesus has. He walks in the temple, and religious leaders are exploiting people. They're t using religion to exploit people. And they're raising the taxes on the money to line their pockets. And they're, they're charging extra for sacrifices for people that couldn't bring them. They sold them there. You ever been to Disney World? Some of y'all go like every month. How do you, how do you, what are you, are you selling drugs? What are you doing? How do you afford it? And, but you go there and here's what they do. You get there and then you're thirsty. You're about to thirst to death. And you go up and you're like, hey man, I want five Cokes. Five Cokes, that'll be $150. And you look at your kids and you look at, your spouse, and you're like, oh, and, and what do you do? You, you pay for it because there's nowhere else to go. And you feel like you got ripped off. You know why? Because you did get ripped off. Or you, you ever been to the clubhouse in Statesboro or maybe Chuck E. Cheese, and, man, you, get, you exchange your money and get that card or get their tokens, and you're on their system now. And then you, you spend all that money, $100. I got 500 tickets. I tell Easton, buddy, we're about to cash in right here. We go up 500 tickets. But I'll get you two bracelets and a lollipop. Might have spent like 100 something and, and that's what's going on, man. They're, they're not bringing sacrifices, and they're raising the money on these sacrifices, charging extra. Saying, hey, that sacrifice ain't going to work. You're going to have to buy this one. And they're raising money on, on the taxes, and they're lining their pockets, and, and, and people, not only that, but people uh, wasn't having the right heart. They're just going through the motions. And so what, they were hindering them financially, but they're hindering their worship spiritually because they're doing all of this inside the temple courts instead of outside of the courts. And the people were more focused on ritual than they were prayer. And here's the bottom line. They're missing the point. They're just missing the point of everything. And so here's what Jesus did. Verse 15 says, He made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle, and he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. Jesus made a whip. Let's just take a moment to say that that's freaking awesome. 
Like, not grabbed a whip, made a whip. Like, an hour, Jesus just in the corner. Peter, like, Jesus, what are you doing? You're about to see what I'm about to do. He's he's making a whip. I mean, he didn't lose his cool, didn't sin, didn't fly off the handle, just patient. But, man, about to drive these cattle out, about to crack the whip. Jesus is about to crack the whip. And, and 16 says, to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. And that's a jackhammer statement. You're turning the temple into something that it's not supposed to be. And Jesus cleansed the temple. And the same way he cleansed the temple, he wants to cleanse my heart and your heart. In verse 17, his disciples are looking back, watching this. And they remembered in Psalms that it's written, David wrote, zeal for your house will consume me. And they remember that David loved God. And David loved people. And he loved God's house. And because David did, he was ridiculed because of it. And they sit back and say, that was King David. But this is King Jesus, and he has more passion than David does. He loves God's house more than David does. He loves God's people more than David does. And they see the passion in Jesus' life, and they understand that one day he'll be consumed for our sins because people don't like his passion and what he stands for. And wasn't it Jesus that said this in John 15? He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Because if you belong to the world, it loves you as its own. But you don't belong to the world, and the world will hate you. And it's not that Jesus doesn't love the world as in people, but not the worldly system. And when you love God and love others, and you love godliness, it will go against the world. And you won't always be loved. We are the hands and feet of Jesus, but remember his hands and feet had holes in them. It's not always going to go well. In verse 18, these Jews began getting irritated and they responded to him and said, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Like, Jesus, you're moving the furniture in this house. Like, you come in here and you're moving all this furniture around. You're doing all this. What authority, what gives you the right to do this? And Jesus answered, destroy this temple. I'll raise it up again in three days. Nobody talks like that. Jesus is either crazy or he is Christ. You you destroy me, I'll pick myself up on the third day. If you want real authority, how about a real resurrection? And then they replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. You're going to raise it up in, in three days? But the temple that Jesus was talking about was his body. He says, I am the temple. I'm what this temple points to. I am the sacrifice. I am the temple. I am where you meet back with God. I am it. And I'll raise myself up in three days. And after he was raised from the dead, because he was raised from the dead, his disciples recall what he said, and they believed the scripture and words about Jesus and what he's spoken. And now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. And he did not need testimony about mankind. He knew 
what was in each person. Jesus knows every heart of every person who ever lived. And he knows what true, genuine faith is and what it looks like. And he knows our hearts this morning. There's a few things in this passage that John points out about Jesus and shows us about our hearts. And I want to point out a few things to us this morning. The first is this, write this down. John shows us, one, the passion of Jesus. The passion of Jesus. He made a whip. He overturned tables. He drove people out of the temple. And he's so passionate about something. And last week, we saw Jesus was at a wedding serving tables. But this week, he's at the temple flipping tables. Last week, man, we saw that he was at a party. This week, he's at a fight. Not really, but you know what I'm saying. Things are looking a little different. And the truth is that Jesus is a man of zeal because Jesus is a man of love. And he is a lamb, but he's also a lion. And he's the friend of sinners, but he's also the enemy of sinners. And when we come to him broken over sin, he'll come at us like a lamb. But when we, when we uh, take advantage of his grace, he may come at us like a lion. And just like smoke leads to a fire, his passion leads us to what his heart burns for. What he loves. What is Jesus so passionate about? Well, the text shows us a few things. One, it shows us that he has a heart for all peoples. Notice that they're in the temple court. Well, what court? Well, he's in the Gentile court. I got a picture I want to throw on the screen. And so you can see, all you need to see is at the very bottom of the screen, the court of the Gentiles, the outcast, the outer courts, in the middle, you had where the priests would go. Outside of that, you would have Jewish men. Outside of that, the Jewish women. Outside of that, the Jews. And then on the very outer courts, you had the rednecks, the scallywags, the Gentiles. Just, just people from all nations. All these people that would come in, they, they were on the very outer courts. And that's the courts that Jesus was in. And that's the court they were selling oxen in. It's the same court that when Peter preached in Acts 2, he preached and 3,000 people got saved from all these nations. That was the court that he preached in. And Jesus walks in this court and he sees oxen in the court and doves are in the court and money's in the court. Well, guess who probably wasn't in the court? The Gentiles. The very people were getting exploited that Jesus came to seek and to save. And the leaders were lining their pockets on the expense of other people. And they missed the point because part of loving God is loving people. And part of loving God is bringing people to know him. Not only the temple court, but we see the heartbeat of scripture. Scripture is all about God's people, God's place, and God's presence. That's what the Garden of Eden was. That's what the temple was supposed to be about. All people coming to worship God together. That's what this room is supposed to be right now. All types of people coming together as one family and worshiping God together. Genesis 12, 2-3 says that God told Abraham, I'm going to make your name great. You're going to be a great nation. And you're going to be a blessing to all peoples on earth. Are going to be a blessing through you. Abraham, I'm going to make you great, but you're not great. I'm great, and I'm going to make you great, 
And your nation is going to be a blessing to other people around them, all nations around the world. That's what God's people are supposed to be. When people look at us, they say, they aren't perfect, but they got life figured out. There's something different about them, and we reach the nations. This is what the church is supposed to be. God's heart was inclusive, but they were being exclusive. And isn't this the life of Christ? It didn't matter what race or tax bracket you were in. Jesus was there, wasn't he? He was standing in the court of the Gentiles. Who did Jesus do life with? What did the crowds get so upset about? This man eats with sinners as if they weren't one. Jesus' connect group was a little wild, wasn't it? Fishermen, tax collectors, a religious terrorist, a Samaritan woman. Like if these people tried to go play golf in Cobbtown of all places, they're not getting in. I'm not getting in. I can see me driving over there to the nice golf course. I'm here to play golf. Like, who are you? What do you mean, who am I? You better, you better, I'm Blake freaking Hardeman. You better, you better know who I am. Better ask Tiger Woods who I am. Like, but, but, but I'm not making it in. I, I'm, I'm going to get put in handcuffs. These, these are the people that he hung out with. These are the people. And here's what the kingdom is not supposed to be like. The kingdom is not a country club for a certain type of people. It's a family made up of all peoples. And the path may be narrow, but the the diversity is wide. That's what the kingdom looks like. And he had a passion for all people. And he had a passion for communion with those people. And he cares about the heart of the matter, the heart of people. This is what God has always wanted was to dwell among his people. That's what the Garden of Eden was all about. It's the first sanctuary ever. God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He was with them. He wanted them. That's what the temple and the tabernacle was about in the Old Testament. It housed the glory of God so he could be with his people. And then John said, the word that was in the beginning was made flesh. And him who was before us tabernacles among us. And he came to be among us. This is Jesus. And Jesus' mission statement was, I've come to seek and save the lost. It's about the people. I want the heart of my people. And this is what Jewish Passover festival was all about. To remember what God has done and to stir their affections for him. And he walks in. And they forgot about all of this. I believe this is what broke Jesus' heart the most. He said, you're turning the Father's house into a market. The Father's house is supposed to be intimate and relational and transformational, and you're making it a transaction. And he looks around, and he sees animals being slain, but no prayers are being prayed. Nobody's thinking about what these sacrifices are even pointing to. And the Lamb of God is sitting in the temple, looking around, And watching everybody do this. You see, taxes were being paid, but God was not being treasured. Passover was being held, but prayer was not being had. And Matthew, Jesus says, Matthew 15, verse 8, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts, their hearts are far from me. And Christianity is a religion of the heart. It's coming to God with no agenda. God, I just want you. You're what I want. You're the prize. You're the treasure. 
you're the motivation of why I'm here, why I sing, why I serve, why I raise my kids. It's all about you. That's why I love Psalms 84, man. They're called the sons of Korah. I don't even know if I say that right. Two guys, they were worshipers in the temple. And they wrote this in Psalms 84. They said, how lovely is your dwelling place. My soul yearns for the courts of the Lord. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, praising you. And they wrote this, this line right here. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Better is one day with you, one day in your courts than a thousand Atlanta Braves games. One day in your courts is better than a thousand vacations. Just one day with you is better than anything else in the world. I want you and nothing else because you're better than everything else. And Jesus walks into the temple and he don't see this at all. He sees people are focused on a system but they miss the sanctuary. They're focused on the customs but they miss communion. And it's all about what they're doing, these sacrifices and all these things but their heart's not right. And Hosea 6, 6 says, I desire mercy over sacrifice. I want you to remember my mercy, remember my grace. I want your heart. And he has a zeal for, for all people and a zeal for their heart. And he has a zeal for God's glory to be known. He wants his glory and all to be about him. This is what worship looks like. Your glory, not my glory. And they're using religious systems to, to build their own kingdoms. And God says, no, it's not about your glory. It's about my glory. This is why we work, why we play, why we eat, why we drink, everything that we do. Our aim in life is to glorify him. It's all about his glory. Your house, your sacrifice, you, everything that you've done is all about you. And they were taking something meant for God and they were using it to build their own kingdoms and they were focused on the task and their tables and they missed loving God and they missed loving people. But when we look in the life of Jesus, we see something different. He is the glory of God, and when we look at his life, when he was 12 years old, 12 years old, him and his mother and Joseph, they were walking back from Jewish Passover, he was 12 years old, and they lost him. You ever lost your kid before? I've lost mine like twice. And they, they lose him, and they go back to the, to the temple, and there he is, he's 12 years old, sitting in the temple, and he looks at his mom, and he says, don't you know I'd be in my father's house? Don't you know that? When he was 12 years old, he was all about his father. When he was with the woman at the well, the disciples came up to him and said that they urged him to eat food. And he looks at them and says, I have food that you don't know about. My father's will. When he was in the garden praying, he said, your will be done. Your kingdom come. When he was talking to his disciples, he's always telling them, the kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like treasure. The kingdom of God, he's always talking about the kingdom and God's kingdom, not his kingdom on earth. And this is what we were created for, to enjoy his grace and extend his glory, created for his glory like the moon reflects the sun in a dark place. We're made in his image to shine his image, not our own image. In other words, your life shouldn't always be lived on selfie mode but all about him and his glory. 
And there's only two kingdoms that we can live for, God's kingdom or our kingdom, but one is going to end and the other has already been raised to life. Let me ask you, what are the tables in your life? Where do you work at? Where do you play at? Where do you live at? Where do you go to school at? Where are the tables in your life? Whose kingdom are you building? Why do you wake up every single day? What is the motivation that drives your entire life? Why are you here this morning? Is it for your glory or is it for his glory? Not only do we see the passion of Jesus, but in this text we see too a battle for the ages. There's a battle going on. I love verse 25. He says, he did not need testimony about mankind because he knows what's in each person. There's something on the inside. It wasn't just oxen in the temple. It was sin in the heart. And there's something going on the inside. There's a battle going on. There's a battle for the ages. World War I started in 1914 and ended in 1918. World War II started in 1939, but ended in 1945. But there's been a battle in the human heart ever since the fall of Adam and Eve. This wasn't just a business problem or a sanitary problem. This was a worship problem. At the root of it, this was a heart problem. And the nature of sin is, I think I got this. But leaving God out of the equation, it, it's an inward focus. And we buy into the lie that God's holding out on us. And it's this inward focus where, man, we lean to our own understanding. The, in the Garden of Eden, instead of listening to God's word, they listen to the whisper. At the Tower of Babel, instead of building God's kingdom, they built their own tower. The 12 disciples constantly argued about who's the greatest. It's just like, guys, it's those who serve. It's those who's focused on God's kingdom. Uh, the church in Corinth, the Corinthians, their worship services got a little crazy. It's because, they're, he says, you can have all these things, but if you don't have love for other people, you'll miss the point. And you become inward focused and you forget what we're doing. You're not reaching anyone with the gospel, but it's sin in us that turns us inward. I know for me personally, man, I just start relying on my own strength. And I'll start going through the motions and forget why I'm doing what I'm doing. And the danger of religion is this inward focused in the name of Jesus. It's inward focused, but in the name of Jesus, it's sneaky and subtle. It's, it's the deceitfulness of religion versus the power of the gospel. Here's how 2 Timothy says it. A form of godliness, but denying its power. Form, but no power. And what religion can do is it can put your eyes on you instead of God. And you can make the Father's house a market where there's transaction but no power, no transformation. And it focuses on the what and forgets the why. And you're doing a lot of good things, but you're forgetting why you're doing what you're doing in the first place. It has a public passion, but no private devotion. And John's trying to warn us that forsaking God always doesn't look like atheism. But man, you can do good things. We can play the game. I was telling my connect group this week, like, I can play the game. 
Like I can be spiritually neutral and nobody know about it. Like I can preach a sermon. I can read the Bible. I can show up the connect group and act like everything's great in my life. But the one person that I'm not fooling is God. He knows the heart. And sometimes we get to going through the motions and this and we forget our need for new wine. This was why he turned water into wine. We need transformation. We need him to do something on the inside to get our eyes on him because that's where the power's at. And the tactic of the enemy is the one thing he would love to do is you to get your eyes on yourself and miss the mark and to get your eyes off of Christ and forget why you're doing what you're doing. Because listen, if he can mess your worship up, he'll mess your witness up. Because when you're worshiping, your heart ain't right with him, you'll never lead anybody else that direction either. And it's real subtle and real sneaky, but you'll be doing a lot of good things. But the motives behind those things are missing the mark. And it's not right. You're forgetting what God has done for you, and he'll sit back and laugh at our efforts. We turn the Father's house into a market. We make Jesus from treasure to a ticket. And relationship becomes religion and transformation becomes transaction. If you want to push the kingdom forward, you've got to fight the drift. That there's a battle in the human heart that is set to build its own kingdom, whether irreligious or religious. Whether you're, whether it's, you know what, God, screw you. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'll live my life how I want to live. Whether it's that or whether it's man. I'm going to do good things to be a great person and build my reputation. And God loves me because I've done these things. Both are done to build your own kingdom. And God says, I'm not interested in either one of those. I'm interested in what I've done for you, my grace transforming your life, and everything you do to be out of worship for me. This is the church that we want to be. Number three, the church that we want to be is a church that fights that drift. We want to be passionate about the things that God is passionate about. Jesus says, I have food that nobody knows about. And what we're saying is we want to hunger for the things that hunger God and for the things that he burned for, our hearts want to burn for. Are you passionate about the things that Jesus is passionate about? We want to be a church that's passionate about the Glory of God, not the glory of man. God's glory above man's glory. I remember Francis Chan telling a story. And he said a guy came up to him. He was a pastor. And a guy came up to him and said, I just really don't like the worship here. And he looked at him and he said, that's okay because we're not worshiping you. This isn't about your glory. And it's not about a preacher. And it's not about a singer. It's not about a person. It's about the glory of God. That's why we say it's all about Jesus. And we want to be a people known for living lives for the glory of God. And that's what true worship looks like. God, if what I'm about to do doesn't bring you glory, I don't want to do it. And not only is it what true worship looks like, it's where true joy is found because it's in the pursuit of Jesus and in his glory that you're most satisfied. That's where joy comes from because that's what you were created for. John Piper says we're most satisfied when God's most glorified. That's it. We want to be a church that glorifies God. We want to be a church that's marked by gospel transformation, not religious motives. Transformation over transaction. We want to be known for people that are transformed by the gospel of Jesus. 
I remember being at Passion Conference and a girl named Jackie Hill Perry said, we've got men with PhDs in seminary, but they're second graders in prayer. And I don't want to just go through the motions. I want to be transformed. That made me feel a type of way when she said that. Because I know that I can be filled with theology but not be transformed if I'm not careful. I don't want to come get something from him. I want him. I want to remember what he's done. I want to abide in his love. I want to rest in his grace. And that is where real change for real sinners comes from. The market's transactional. The Father's house is transformational. And theology without transformation is useless. The reason we study the Bible is not to make our heads fat, but to make our hearts right. We want to be a house of people that's known for transformation. And we want to be a place for all people to come and experience Jesus. In other words, we want people over preferences. One of the coolest things about the temple in the Old Testament is that it had a place for seekers. For people that didn't know if they were, were followers of God or not. But they had a place where people could come in. And people could be seekers that are seeking God. And the cool thing about the New Testament is Jesus tears the walls down. We are the temple. God lives in us now. His Holy Spirit lives in us and dwells in us. Hashtag family. Hashtag one. But a family, God's family, is made up of many different people from many different backgrounds. They don't look like you and don't act like you. And we want to be a place where they can come in and worship God. I remember a story. There's a pastor in Brooklyn. And his church was not in the best part of town. Which would make a really good place to put a church. If you want to push back darkness. And he's in Brooklyn. You can imagine it, all the homelessness. And all the people that need money, all the benevolence cases. And you have to have a system, man, because there's a difference in a handout and a hand up. And all the people, and so they had all these hoops you'd have to jump through. You couldn't just give people money. And this pastor, it was Easter services, and he done preached two or three sermons, and he was tired. And he was just tired. He was exhausted. And about that time, in the middle of his sermon, there was a guy that walked through the church, and the pastor said, it was a homeless guy. And he come walking up and he said, you could smell him from the time he walked in. He said, it was just awful. Just awful smell. Just, man, just a terrible looking. Hadn't had a shower, nothing. And he comes and he sits down. And he keeps preaching. And that guy keeps looking at him. And he keeps preaching. And that guy keeps looking at him. And finally that guy got up and started walking to the front of the church. And walked down right into the front of the altar. And the pastor turned his mic off and just walked down to him. And he said he was so tired he didn't want to jump through any of the hoops. And he pulls out his wallet. And he went in there and he went to grab a $20 bill. And he pulled it out and he handed it to him. And that guy looked at him and said, I don't want your money. I want your Jesus. And he began to cry, and then he, he just grabbed him and just hugged him and just stood there. And he, he said it just smelled awful, and he was just hugging this man, and he began to cry. And he said, God spoke to him and said, do you smell that smell? I love that smell. 
I died for that smell. And we want to be a church, no matter what you smell like, where you're from, who you're from, what you've done, who you did it with. We want to be a place where people come in here, they can meet with God. And the day that we don't do that, we can lock the doors and burn this place to the ground. That's what we want to be. That's why we exist. We're going to preach the gospel. And we're going to preach people to repentance, but we're going to love people like crazy while we do it. And we want to be a church that's passionate about the mission of God, not our comforts. Mission over comfort, global vision. We don't want to just manage anything. We want to run. Like, I don't know about you, but I want to run. Like, I'm ready to go. Like, I want to run for God. Like, we don't want to hinder people from coming to God. We want to take God to people. He, he didn't just cleanse the temple. He replaced it with you. And with me, and he lives in us. He ripped the curtain, tore the walls down, put his spirit in us, and then commissions us to go and tell people about a Savior, not sit here and focus on religious systems. Uh, there's a quote by C.T. Studd that says, Some want to live within the sound of a church or a chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. That just, that just makes me want to fight somebody. Man, that just makes me, that makes me want to go after the enemy a little bit. Like, man, I love that. Like, in Acts 19, there were some guys who seen, who seen God working through Paul. And, man, they were some guys, and they were, they were like the seven sons of Scuba or Skiba. Anyway, sorry. But, but they're going around, and they're trying to cast out demons out of people. And they go up to this one, this one guy, and they said, In the name of Jesus that Paul preaches, come out. And then that guy looked at him and said, Jesus I know, Paul I've heard of, but who are you? And beat them to a pulp. The Bible says, beat them naked and they ran out the house. That's savage. Like, I, don't, I don't know if you know if you've won a fight or not. If you get the pants beat off you and you run out the house naked, you lost that fight. I don't want that to be us. I want him to know our name. Like, I, I just, I, the victory's won, but I want to fight a little bit. Like, I want to run a little bit. I want to push back darkness a little bit. I want to carry Jesus to people around us. I don't want that to be us. We want God's glory over man's glory. Transaction. We want transformation, not transaction. We want people over preferences, and we want God's mission over our comfort. And here's my question for you. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? What makes you angry? You want to know what makes me angry? It makes me angry that billions of people in the world don't have the gospel. You want to know what makes me angry? That my kids are in Adam and not in Jesus. And the two missionaries that God gave them is me and their mama. And sometimes I forget and I sit back and act like everything's okay. And that makes me angry. You want to know what makes me angry? People in our city don't know Jesus. You want to know what makes me angry? My heart flirts with the things that Jesus died for. You want to know what makes me angry? There's people even in our room right now and even in this church who think they're saved and they're not saved because they're fooled because of cultural Christianity and they think that good people go to heaven and good people don't exist. Saved people go to heaven. Jesus died for all. And that makes me angry. 
does what makes Jesus angry make us angry? What are you going to do when the real tables that Jesus wants to flip are the tables in your life? The tables in your house, in your work, where you live, where you play. What are we going to do when the real tables that Jesus wants to flip are in us? What's keeping you from coming to Jesus? I love Jesus. He, he got the pigeons, the doves, and the oxen. He says, get it out of here. What is it that's keeping you from coming to Jesus? Jesus says, get it out of here. What is it that's robbing your intimacy of Jesus? Jesus says, get it out of here. Get it out. Take your spirit and the whip of your word and drive anything out my life that doesn't need to be there. Is it possible that we build our own kingdoms? Is it possible that we could be living for our own glory? Have we forgotten the whole point of why we're here this morning to worship him and to remember what he's done? Is it possible we're inward focused and not outward focused? What are we going to do about it? What are you going to do when the real tables that Jesus wants to flip are the tables in your life? And then lastly, he shows us a superficial faith. Love this. He shows us, John shows us a few things. He, he shows us one that we can be amazed at Jesus and still not follow him. Verse 23 says, Many people saw the signs and believed in his name, but Jesus would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and he knew what was in each person. And there's two types of people even in here this morning. There's people that came to a market house and there's people that came to the Father's house. And one of those people come in to see what God can offer them, but the other comes to love Jesus just for who he is. I think about Moses. He says, God, if you're not going, I don't want to go. If your presence isn't, isn't with us, I don't want to go. I think about Peter when people were leaving by the thousands and, and Jesus said, Are you want to go away also? And Peter says, where else would I go? That's the Father's heart, to love him for who he is. And, and, and he shows us not only that, but he shows us that Jesus is the temple. They said, what sign can you show us to... Approve, approve everything that you're doing. And Jesus says, you destroy this temple, I'll raise it up in three days. They, they ask Jesus, they say this, they say, how can you act as if you own this place? And Jesus says, own this place. I am this place. I am the temple. I am where people meet back with God. I'm the whole point of what this place points to. It's not about coming to a place. It's about coming to a person. It's about coming to Jesus. And for all of us in the room, this is what it looks like for the king to move into your life. Because 1 Corinthians says, do you not know that your bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit? I was at Planet Fitness. I was just working on my fitness. And I was running on a treadmill and I was thinking about this and God just told me, he said, son, the same way I walk in that temple is the same way I walk into your life. I'll flip your world upside down. I'll change things around if I want to. Because the Lord of the wine is the Lord of the whips. He's Savior and Lord. 
He's both of these things. And he moves the furniture in the house because he owns the house. And in other words, he didn't come to be a part of our life. He came to take it over. He wants to rearrange it. And I'll give you a minute, in a minute, I'll give you a moment to do business with God. But for the believers in the room, not only does he show us how he comes into our life, he shows us how we walk with him and how we live with him. This is called communion. It says in the text, zeal for your house will consume me. We're a spiritual house and Jesus was consumed. Let me have your minds just for a moment because it's awesome. When Adam and Eve was in the garden, they walked with God. After sin, he kicked them out of the garden. You know what he put up? The text says a flaming sword, a cherubim, and put it up to keep them from getting back in. In the temple, in the holies of holies, where God's presence came, there's a curtain. On that curtain was palm trees and a sword that represent the garden. And when the priest came and made sacrifices on behalf of the people, something had to go up under the sword. And he made sacrifice. And Jesus comes and John says, Behold the Lamb. That Jesus went under the sword of God's judgment. And he's the way back into the garden. He's the way back into walking with God. He went under the sword of God's judgment. And that's what he's done for you. And that's what he's done for me. And that's how we live our life. It's his sacrifice and his spirit in our lives. C.S. Lewis calls the Holy Spirit the hound of heaven. Just seeks you out. Just jumps in your life. Takes over. He flips our tables. That's called repentance. He fills our tables. That's called grace. And he gives us something better, him. And he invites us to his table. That's called communion, where we're reminded that the blood of the lamb is the way back into the garden and the way back to God. That's why we sung a while ago, come and see what he has done by the power of his love that he lavished on, lavished on us. By his wounds, we're overcome. By the power of his love and of his blood. And this is our story that Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain. He washes me white as snow. And now for us Christians, this isn't a market house. It's the Father's house. And he says, do this in remembrance of me. And so for believers in the room and believers only, we take our cups. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples. Take and eat. This is my body. Take the bread and eat. And then he took the cup, and when he gave thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Take the cup and drink.
y'all thought it was over. Hey, watch this. And I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day that I drink it new in my Father's kingdom. And so we look back and we remember what Christ has done for us. But we look forward to a day that we'll drink it with him in his Father's house. And so, man, for the rest of us, maybe you're in here and maybe you don't know about this Jesus thing. Well, as simple as I know to put it, you're born in Adam by birth. That means born in sin by birth. He represents you. Ain't nobody ever had to teach you how to sin. You know what I'm saying? You're born again in Christ through faith. You're born in Adam at birth. By the time you're born, you sin, you inherit that naturally. You'll never come to Jesus apart from repenting and putting your faith in Christ who came, lived a perfect life in your place and died in your place and rose again. And if you're here this morning and you say, Blake, I've never had Jesus come into my heart and flip my tables and take over my life. Will you just close your eyes with me real quick? If that's you in here, with all eyes closed, will you just raise your hand? You say, today, today I want to give my life to Jesus and I want to enter the kingdom. Awesome. God, we love you. We thank you for your your son. God, we thank you that we're the temple and you conquered death, hell, and the grave so we could have a relationship with you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
we declare this, every victory is yours. that true authority comes from you and you alone. God, we're never going to know you if we don't know your word. God, we're never going to love people without your spirit. So God, give us a passion for your word and fill us with your spirit. Jesus' name, amen. It's been a good day. You're dismissed.